Well, we haven't finished our series through Second Peter, but we're diverting a little for the next couple of weeks, looking at Ephesians 5 and a few other verses. What we're doing is, um, in Second Peter, we were talking about uh, when we're going to stand before God, the day of the Lord and the future of the planet, the day of the Lord and the future of humanity. And uh, we are going to stand before the Lord. For believers, it's called the Bema Seat that's, or the Judgment Seat of Christ. It's where we will stand before Christ to receive reward. For those who have not trusted and received Jesus Christ as Savior, they will stand before the great white throne judgment. Why is it called that? Because the Lord is on a great white throne. And we will, those people who have not received Christ will then end up in the lake of fire. But for believers, we will get rewarded for our faithfulness. And so we're, we're diverting this week and, and next week talking about how can you please God? Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I'll get rewarded when I get to heaven. Rewarded for what? How do you know? Well, we're not going to look at everything uh, that you could get rewarded for in heaven. But this morning, we're going to look at a couple of different parts of this theme. The first is that there are some things that clearly do not please the Lord. And toward the end of the service, we'll also look at a couple of things that definitely do please the Lord. So, Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to the teaching from your word. May your Holy Spirit encourage us or convict us as needed. In Jesus' name, amen. In uh, Ephesians, well, we'll get to Ephesians chapter 5 in just a minute. But uh, if you go back in Proverbs, don't turn there. Well, you could. It won't hurt. Proverbs chapter 6, there's some verses, and we're going to look at them. And the first thing that says that God hates is a proud look. Now, that doesn't mean as long as you don't look proud on the outside, God's okay with it. No, a, a proud look is the person whose inside is showing up on the outside. There's an arrogance, and God hates that. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Those are God's words spoken through uh, the prophet. And Warren Wearsby noted it was pride that turned Lucifer into Satan, and it was pride that led Eve to disobey God and eat from the forbidden fruit because Satan tempted her that she's missing out on something, and, and it would give her wisdom, and so she sought after that. And uh, even in even within the church, Third John is one of the smallest letters in the Bible, and it talks about an evil pastor. I know you're thinking, that can't be. There was one. Uh, there's been more than one, probably. But one mentioned in Scripture, his name was Diotrephes. And he was so arrogant that if you ever disagreed with him, he would have you thrown out of the church. And, by the way, that can't happen here. We do have a, a discipline committee, the deacons and I, and if there is somebody who's not following the Word of God, then, then we have to deal with that as a church. There's, there's a discipline needed, just like parents sometimes have to discipline their kids. Uh, but no pastor has a right to throw people out of the church. 
That's not his role. It's the Lord's church, not the pastor's church. And we have to follow the rules. But many politicians and surgeons and actors and athletes and many of the uber-rich are proud and arrogant people. And God hates their pride. The second thing on God's hate list is a lying tongue. Think of the worst used car salesman tactics, you know. They're bragging about this car, it's wonderful, um, and if it was so great, why didn't they buy it themselves, right? Uh, but uh, there, are, there are some good used car salesmen out there, but there are some who are scammers. And at John eight forty four, Satan is called a liar and the father of it. And Jesus called himself what? The way, the truth and the life. So Satan's the, a liar and the father of lies, and Jesus is the truth. In Revelation 21.8, it says that liars deserve to be in the fires of hell. And if they've not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that's exactly where they'll end up. When you lie, even so-called little white lies, you are acting like Satan, and God hates it. He hates a lying tongue. The third thing on God's hate list, he hates hands that shed innocent blood. I looked for different pictures to put on the PowerPoint, and I thought that one looks like a bloody hand, uh, and that was a nice symbol of something horrible, I guess. One of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not murder. That's God's command. Now, that's not talking about self-defense or in combat, but not commit murder. Uh, And uh, interestingly, some of the Proverbs were written more than 7,000 years before Christ was born. I'm sorry, 700 years before Christ was born. 7,000 years before Christ was born, it was just God. And God created the heaven and the earth about 6,000 years ago or so, and God, so before that, there was just God. But 700 years before Christ, uh, they wrote in Proverbs, uh, wisdom literature, that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the one not only innocent in God's eyes, but even innocent in the eyes of the governor in that region of Israel, um, He was put to death, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because the power brokers wanted to hold on to their power. That still takes place in the world today. And God hated it in Solomon's day, and he hated it in the days of Christ when Jesus was on the earth, and he still hates it today. But you see, Jesus raised the bar. Jesus raised the bar on murder. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 and 2. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So Jesus said, you know, murder's a bad thing. Murder's a terrible thing. But he put hatred on the same level as murder. So if you say, well, I hate them, but I haven't killed them yet, that's not a good thing, okay? 
I mean, it's good that you haven't killed them yet. Let's, let's not get distracted there. But it's not good that you hate. And so hands that shed innocent blood uh, in the Old Testament, they thought only of murder. But Jesus said, you need to raise the bar and think of hatred and not have hatred. In fact, it's okay to hate the things God hates. But when we hate other people, Christ died for their sins so that they could be saved because God so loved the world. He doesn't want you to hate people. You can hate evil things that people do, but don't hate people. The fourth thing on God's list is a heart that devises wicked plans. I like this little picture, the kid with a slingshot. He looks like he's going to be up to something, doesn't he? That's a pretty serious slingshot, too. But if you say shoplifting or sneaking around doing what you shouldn't be doing, making an excuse at work or at home, it's not cute. God hates it. And if you say, well, I'm just a kid. I can't obey the way an adult could. The Bible says even a child is known by his actions. And you can obey. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you should. It's not cute or funny to be naughty. Genesis 6.5 says, When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of his thoughts was only evil continually, that God brought in the judgment. And God hated it when Jonadab gave horrible advice to Amnon in 2 Samuel 13. God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Modern psychology says this. It says, it's okay to have fantasies in your head. And it's okay to think about that. But then don't act on it. You know what God says? Change your thoughts. Bring your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Don't dwell on those evil things. God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. I actually asked Kathy about that this week. Because when I was in the Marine Corps and when I was a business manager, part of my job was to uh, think through the security of things. And in the Marine Corps, it was my job to break into places to see to test their security. And uh, I always got in. Their security was never that good. And, and we worked really hard to improve the security. And I remember the XO in our battalion telling me, Green, I'm really glad you're on our side. Because cause I would have to think through, how am I going to break in here? How am I going to do this? How am I going to make... And, and I was always able to do it. In fact, years ago, we had a guy who'd locked his keys in the car out here in the parking lot, and, and uh, he wanted to borrow the phone to call a locksmith, and he had an older car. Newer cars aren't as easy to break into. And I looked out and saw his truck, and I said, oh, hang on. And, and in this, this used to be a storage room, and we had a, a bow saw in there, and I took the blade out, and I told him how to do it, you know, slide it in by the window, slide it over, pop it up just a little bit, uh, make sure you don't saw it back and forth, because you can cut the wires, and, and then one once you get it up, then slide it back out and then pull it up. And uh, one of the guys out here, he's, he went over, he got into his truck, he came back, said, man, that was easy. And one of the other guys said, how does a pastor know how to break into a car? I said, I wasn't born a Christian. I became a Christian later. But 
But it's okay if you're doing it for the right reason. It's okay if you're in charge of security, if you're thinking through all the different potential breaks in security. But if you're thinking bad things, it's not okay. God doesn't want you to dwell on those things. In fact, the Bible says, as you think in your heart, you'll act out in your life. It becomes part of your character. Uh, we're in Ephesians 5, and we'll read uh, some more verses here. Well, let's just go ahead and read this now. Uh, Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sweet-smelling, I'm sorry, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints or those who have received Christ as Savior. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jestings, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to think, uh, to speak of those things which are done by them. Do, do you see that verse 11 and 12 connect with this, a heart that devises wicked plans? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of, right, of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Don't think about them. Don't dwell on them. Don't speak about them. And jump down to verse 15. See then you, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. A heart that devises wicked plans is something God hates. Uh, the fifth thing on that list is feet that are swift in running to mischief. Sweet feet that are swift in running to evil. Now, I don't know if these kids are doing something naughty, but I think they are. Because they're kids, right? Uh, no, I, I think sometimes kids are enamored by things. And in fact, if somebody... Um, I'm going to change direction, okay? In our culture, when there's a power outage or a big storm, what often follows that? What do people do? They loot. They, they break in. In fact, sometimes policemen have acted badly, and there's a massive riot, and people break into stores, and they steal stuff. Just because... Police acted badly does not give you a right to hurt somebody else's business. And 
So we run to evil. We're prone to it. And sometimes people will throw a big party and they'll have alcohol or drugs at the party and, and the house gets packed out. I've talked with cops and they've tried to go in and there's times they can't even get into the house because there's so many people jammed in the house because something evil was going on. If you have a serious Bible study in your house, you'll probably have empty seats. But if you have what they would call a serious party, you'll pack the house. Because of our sinful nature, we're drawn toward things that are inappropriate. But God hates it when we pursue them. A sixth thing on that list, there's only seven. Sixth thing on that list, a false witness who speaks lies. Somebody who's telling a story or gossiping. One of the Ten Commandments said, Thou shalt not bear false witness. God hates this. Some famous athletes have gone to prison because they lied in a judicial probe. They lied about using or not using uh, illegal substances. A mom just got sent to prison because she paid somebody to falsify her daughter's SAT scores so she could get a higher college placement and get into a better school. God hates lying in any form, in any place. And the seventh one on that list is one who sows discord among the brethren. And, and the way it's written in Proverbs chapter 6, it says, these six things the Lord hates, yes, the seventh one is an abomination to Him. That God hates all of these things, but the seventh one seems to be something God really hates. This is hate squared. This is hate on steroids. God really, really hates this. Sowing discord among brethren. I don't want you to stop and think this through. When you make fun of another person, God hates it. And you young girls, when, when you scorn the younger girls, won't let them play with you or sit by you, no, you can't sit by me. God hates that behavior. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to actually serve each other, not put each other down. If you're gossiping against someone, God hates it. If you're making fun of someone, God hates it. You need to help, not hurt. And so we, years ago, in our uh, meetings, the administrative group, the deacons, trustees, and their spouses, the ministry leadership team, when, when we have our meetings, we have some rules for behavior for the meetings. And, and one of those rules is that we won't slam each other, no slam humor. Uh, that God wants us to encourage each other. And that was really hard when we first made that rule because there were several of us uh, that liked to pick on other people. Joe, It was always meant in friendliness and fun. Uh, but I remember it, originally that was rule number seven. Now it's rule number five. But But I remember the first meeting after we adopted those behavioral norms for our meetings uh, that somebody said, Pastor, number seven. And I'm like, oh bust it. Now they could say number five, but I try not to do it anymore. The, the Lord doesn't like it when we sow discord. Now, we can joke and we can tease. I think that's okay. But you know, sometimes when you're joking, 
The other person's not receiving it that way. And Kathy and I were in a church where uh, somebody came in and the past, she had like super curly hair. She just got a perm. And yeah, this I don't know if people still do perms, but I haven't seen them for a while. So she got a big, big curly perm and she had quite a bit of hair. And she walked in and the pastor made, like joked and he said, oh, did you stick your finger in the electric socket? And, you know, she just kind of laughed, and then he turned and walked away. And Kathy and I saw her make an almost hateful look on her face toward the pastor's back. She didn't realize people were watching. Sometimes you're just joking. But if they're not also in on the joke, it might hurt them. So it'd be better not to do it. God hates when we sow discord among brethren. Now, let's go back to Ephesians 5. There are some things that clearly do not please the Lord, right? What's the first one mentioned in verse 3? Fornication. What is that? Well, it covers everything from having lustful thoughts to being intimate with somebody you're not married to. Jesus raised the bar here, too. You know, the Pharisees, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, they knew that, and they followed that rule. But in Matthew 5, 27 and 8, Jesus said, You have heard that was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, oh, they made fun of President uh, Carter. Thank you. I had the right face in my head. They made fun of President Carter when they asked him if he'd ever cheated on his wife. And he said, never in my actions, but I have lusted in my heart. What a refreshing change from some of the other presidents we've had who cheated all the time. But God hates these things. And fornication, he said it should not be named among you. Uh, look also in verse 5. Uncleanness, internal thoughts and intentions that are not pleasing to God. And by the way, if you keep it going on the inside, it often spills over into the outside. Why is it that somebody who's just had anger, 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 and suddenly they assault somebody or kill somebody? because they didn't deal with the anger down here when it was just on the inside. We need to correct our thoughts. Uncleanness, internal thoughts, and intents, not pleasing to God that often spill over to the outside. Covetousness, uh, what is that? Yeah, wanting something somebody else has. The Bible says it could even be wanting a spouse somebody else has. Um, a desire for what you do not have, a greediness. So in, it, it mentioned, it's mentioned in verse 3, covetousness, but in verse 5, uh, there's, he says something else about covetousness. What does he add to it? That, it, that if you're coveting, you're an idolater. In fact, uh, Colossians 3.5 also says covetousness is idolatry. So how does that work? Okay, well, let's just say that, that 
you're here in the parking lot and somebody pulls in in a brand new car. Can you admire their car? Yeah. Can you sit in it and smell the freshness and think how different that smells than your car? Yeah. Can you appreciate that? Could you even wish that you could have a car like that? Yes. But you have to be careful. Because if you really want it and you're really jealous and you're angry that they could get it and you couldn't, See, the Bible tells us we're supposed to be content with such things as we have. Now, that doesn't mean you never want to paint your house. You've got to be content with the paint job you have. It doesn't mean you never shave. You've got to be content with the whiskers that you have. But it means that you're not supposed to let things grab onto you. You can appreciate it. Man, I roll, rode in a Rolls Royce, and my friend wanted me to drive it. I said, after you get a scratch on it and leave the scratch there, then I'll drive your car. It was, it was a beautiful car. It was nice riding in that car. But honestly, I would never want to own one. I'd rather have a quad cab pickup if I could afford whatever I wanted. That's what I would have used to be Harley Roadster, but I can't do that anymore. But see, if you're coveting, if you're jealous, if you're envious, if you're longing, if you can't watch television because the commercials make you want stuff so bad, you've got a heart problem. And God says you need to change your heart. So, um, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Um, in the middle of verse, well, the beginning of verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, talking, joking, using crude language or humor. God does not approve of these things. And so if you're doing this, you're hurting yourself. Um, verse 7, therefore, do not be partakers with them. When people are doing that sort of thing, don't join in with them. Separate yourself a little bit. Look at verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You need to discern and figure out the right thoughts and the right actions that you should pursue. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So God wants you to separate yourself. We were saying last week that there's things in our culture that are really good, and we can appreciate those things. But when our culture has bad things, we need to be counter-cultural. Like, it's, it's the cultural norm, apparently, in America today for men and boys to participate in looking at pornography. We're never supposed to do that. The Bible's very clear. That's wrong. It's unhealthy. It's hurtful. It's evil. God hates it. And so we are countercultural, and we don't do that. We strive to honor God. And yet it's a multi-billion dollar business in the United States. 
So don't join in with them. Instead, verses 15 through 17, seek the wisdom and the will of God. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The days were evil then. The days are evil now. They're filled with evilness, and we need to be careful. Verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Jump back to verse 10, Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. All right, I'm going to make a statement here, and it's a big statement. We need to write this down. We need to remember this. You have the capacity to know and follow the path that brings God's approval and reward. You have that capacity. He says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there are times when you're wrestling over the will of the Lord, like you have an opportunity for this job or that job, and you're praying and you're wondering, and okay? You, you have to wrestle with something sometimes. But what do you know? You know that if either job you take, God wants you to be honorable. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to have character. He wants you to work hard. So there are some things you don't even need to ask about. You, you have an understanding of if you look at the Word of God and if you follow God's truths. So you have the capacity to know and follow the path that brings God's approval and reward. Now, honestly, I don't know whether it's a good book or not. I just heard about it this week listening to a new podcast that I stopped listening to because he used profanity, and that really annoys me. I'm listening to a podcast. That was awful. So, But he mentioned the title of this book, and I like the title of the book, Everything is Figureoutable. Now, it might not be a good book. I don't know. It might be a great book. But I like everything is figureoutable. Did you know that you can figure out the will of God in your life? You don't have to wander around. I've talked to people. <laughs> when I was at Bible college, my pastor from Tucson came out to Bible college. I guess it was when we were graduating. Uh, he came out one other time while we were there in Bible school. So I don't remember which trip it was. But, I, of course, we'd hang out together. I love spending time with him. And, and we were walking along together, and a friend came up who graduated from Bible college with him in 1957. And this friend came up to him, and, and in 1958... Uh, my pastor moved to Tucson, started the church, pastored it for 50 years, and then retired, and now they have another pastor. Uh, he's now with the Lord. But when we were there in, in that college where it's a big meeting, there were hundreds of people came in from around the country, and, and he and I walk along, and this friend of his comes up. And I can't remember, so let's just say my pastor, his name was Lewis. I remember that. Let's just say the other guy's name was John. I don't remember what it was. So John comes up, Lewis, how you doing? Man, it's good to see you. And Pastor Johnson asks him, so what are you up to now? And the guy says, just waiting on the Lord, brother, waiting on the Lord. You know, and they talked for a few minutes, and he walked off, and Pastor Johnson turned to me and just stern, got in my face, and he said, when you graduate, go and do something for God. He's been waiting 40 years and hasn't done a thing. It sounds spiritual to say, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Get up and do something while you're waiting, right? 
I know when I worked at McDonald's, they said, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. That's, they always want us to be working, doing something. So do something for God. Don't just wait and wait and wait. When you're unsure of the path, just go with the last thing you knew and stick with it and serve God and minister. So you have that capacity inside you to know and follow the path that brings God's approval and reward. So we're going to look this morning at two areas, and then uh, next week we'll look at some more, and then we'll look at more another day. So the first is, what can you do to please God in your heart and soul? And that is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. There is nothing you can do that could bring more joy to God than to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen to these verses. Matthew three seventeen. The voice of God spoke from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John six twenty nine. Jesus told them, Jesus said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. You believe in the one that God sent. Who's that? Jesus himself. That's right. Jesus the Christ. Luke 15.10. Jesus I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I don't want to make a big deal out of a little deal, but in the structure of this verse, joy in the presence of the angels of God. Which direction do the angels face in heaven? They face toward God. And so when I read this, there's joy in the presence of the angels. What, what the angels are seeing is the joy of God himself, not just the joy of the angels. The angels aren't high-fiving or wing-slapping. It is God himself who's rejoicing over sinners who repent. And there's joy in heaven. And I don't know if it works this way, but I'd like it to. If when somebody gets saved on earth, they announce it in heaven. And so my mom up there in heaven could rejoice when she finds out that Megan's girls trusted Christ this year. And, and some of my Sunday school teachers could rejoice that I actually got saved and they had a part in that. I think some of them went to heaven prematurely because they had my brothers and I in our class. Uh, I don't know that for sure. But see, God delights when we trust Christ as our Savior. So receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior brings joy to the heart of God. He is pleased. Now, secondly, another way you can bring joy to the heart of God, developing a close relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer and learning God's Word. Develop a close relationship with Jesus Christ. See, in the beginning of creation, what did God do with Adam and Eve? He walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Fellowship is why God created us. One of the reasons why. The book of Revelation promises that in the new heaven and the new earth, God will dwell with us. God himself will dwell with them. And he, they will be his people, and he will be their God, designed and, and 
planned by God that we would hang out together in eternity. Jesus invites people into relationship. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come, Jesus said, inviting us into relationship. When he called his disciples, he said, follow me. He invited them to walk with him and eat with him and live with him and learn from him. And in prayer, Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. It's interesting when you talk to people who study the Bible intensely for years and And they tell you, there's so much that I don't know. But you talk to people out in the world, they know almost nothing of the Bible. Oh, I know all what the Bible's all about. And and the people who don't know that much think they know more. But the ones who know more realize there's so much more to learn. And that's true spiritually, and that's true generally in our world. Some of the experts at things, they're geniuses and they're learning and growing and seeing so much more to learn. So call to God, pray to God, call out to Him. There are things you cannot know if you're not praying to God and listening to Him. And then uh, learning God's Word, the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts. And contemplate your ways. To meditate is to just think it over. Actually, the best illustration of meditation is kind of a little bit gross. Did you know cows have four stomachs? And they eat something and it goes into stomach number one. And they kind of bring it back up and chew it a little more and it goes into stomach number two. And they bring it up and chew on it a little more, it goes into stomach number three. You get the saying, right? Okay, we'll skip stomach number four there. But, but see, this is what we need. You need to think about things. You need to bring it to mind, and you need to cogitate, meditate, think on it, chew on it in your head, on the Word of God. I will meditate on your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. You're not just learning the Word of God, but you're thinking about the heart of God, and you're focusing on Him. I will delight myself in your statutes. Boy, parents, don't you wish your kids would do that? Oh, Dad, thanks for the rules. You keep me out of trouble. Actually, uh, when they're older, they may thank you. When they're younger, they usually don't. But I remember my dad had a chance. We were living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we had a chance to to move to Germany or Lubbock, Texas, or Tucson. And he chose Tucson. And I I didn't want to go back to Tucson. I was not a nice kid, and I liked having new victims every time we moved. And so to go back someplace where they already knew me and they were already wary of me, I, I didn't want to do that. And so I really fussed at my dad that we, I didn't want to go to Tucson, and I actually was awful in my behavior for about a year. And uh, and I always fussed that he said he wasn't going to Germany because he wasn't taking three boys who already struggled with alcohol. He wasn't taking them to Germany. That would be a bad thing. So he knew that was out of the picture. And so I'd fussed at him that we could have gone to Lubbock, Texas. And then somewhere in 1997, somewhere in that year, no, the spring of 1998, 
I called my dad on the phone, and I said, hey, dad, guess where I am? He said, I have no idea. I said, I'm standing on the street corner in Lubbock, Texas. Thank you. (laughs) And he just busted up laughing. I mean, not only did moving to Tucson, I ended up getting saved. I ended up meeting a girl named Kathy. My life was transformed by trusting Christ and marrying Kathy. And that would have never happened in Lubbock. But, see, kids fuss. And so, parents, you might not get a thank you from your kids till they're in their 20s or 30s. I know Kathy got a call from Nathan one day thanking her for something that annoyed him when he was a kid. He didn't like that rule. And then he called and thanked her for it, and we rejoiced. God's rules are for our good. And the more mature you are, the more you can delight in his statutes and then not forget his word. See, when you're trying to learn the Bible, there's four things that I encourage you to do. Okay? Number one, you need to read. You need to read it. You can't learn it if you're not in it. You need to be in the Word, not just under the Word. If the only time you hear the Word of God is when Tim's reading it in Sunday school or I'm reading it here, you're not learning God's Word. Read it. Get an audio. If you really struggle reading, get an audio Bible. You can download them for free. I've got one on my iPhone. Uh, and, and you can listen to it. And I do some mornings when I'm out walking. I listen to it. Um, read God's Word. Read it over and over. Read it in different ways. I think it's helpful to read it in different translations. Um, I don't, every year, I don't read through my Bible every year. But when I do read through my Bible in a year, I read from a different translation than the one I'm normally reading from and studying from. So you hear it differently. In fact, just this week, I was reading um, in Ephesians. Um, I'm doing a study through this book, and I was reading it, and the way it, the verse was in this other translation, it was just enough different for me to sit back and go, huh, okay? Now what does that mean? Now that means I have to really study to figure out, is was there change just for fun, or was there a reason, or how does it figure into my theology? And I wouldn't have had that huh moment if I had just been reading in the trans King James or the New King James, because I'm very familiar with those. Um, so read it. Read it, read it, read it. And then secondly, reflect. What does it mean to Reflect. You get a big mirror, and you hold it up to the light, and you reflect. Okay, that's how you reflect with a mirror. How do you reflect with your head? Think about it. Evaluate it. So when you read something in the Bible, for instance, if you're a new Christian, and you're reading through the Old Testament, and it says you shouldn't eat pork. So what should you do as a new believer You should ask somebody who's a more mature believer, uh, a Sunday school teacher, a WANA leader, a deacon, a pastor. Ask them, so I'm not supposed to eat pork? And then they can explain to you, that was a rule for the nation of Israel. That was not a rule for all of God's people for all time. And then you'll have to learn the dispensations and how God revealed more of himself over time. But 
I'm glad we can eat pork. I enjoyed some bacon for breakfast. It was not sinful. It was delicious. <laughs> but reflect. you, you got to think about it. So when the Bible says, children, obey your parents in all things, kids, you need to think about it. You need to realize, what do all things, what, what does that make? When it says workers, you need to show respect for your boss, your master, according to the flesh. Even the ones that are not good, you still have to treat them with respect. So how do I apply that to my political activity if I'm not happy with the current president, whatever year it is that you're not happy with the current president? Do you speak about him respectfully or perhaps in the future? Do you speak about her respectfully? We have to honor God first. So reflect on what the Bible says. Think it through. Evaluate it in your life. When I was a teenager, I loved certain movies that were uh, uh, aggressive guys who didn't take anything from anybody. And, and then I'm reading in the Bible, and it says, Envy not the oppressor. And I thought, okay, I think God doesn't want me to like those movies anymore. So the first thing I did was I stopped watching them. And the second thing I did was I started watching different movies. Kathy loves it. I can sit down and enjoy a chick flick with her. Although she got a little tired of it, I was sick last Christmas, a year ago, two years ago. I was sick, and I kept watching these hokey Christmas movies. And One day she came in and said, all right, stop. Netflix is off. You're going to watch this movie. It's an action movie, and watch it. <laughs> Reflect. Think about what God's Word says. And then, thirdly, you need to respond. What changes do you need to make? Do you notice something different on the screen? Responds a little more bold than the other two. We're really good at reading. We're okay at reflecting. But we need to respond to God's Word. We need to take action based on what we have read. And then occasionally, not always, but sometimes you're going to have to do some research because there's some things that are really hard to figure out while you're reflecting on it. You need to do some research to figure that out. You need to develop a close relationship with God through prayer and learning God's Word. And that will please God. Now let's jump all the way back to that big statement, right? You have the capacity to know and follow the path that brings God's approval and reward. And kids, that applies to you. And older folks, where it's harder for you to memorize, it applies to you. We have that capacity. And God's desire is to reward us, right? We looked at that last week. He wants to reward. And you can live in a way that allows God to reward you for your faithfulness. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to learn and grow and mature. 
Help us when we leave this place to think about things that we should hate and also about things that you love. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.